0: Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. You have your Bibles turned to Psalm 84? You know, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the power of sustaining grace. For a long time now, I've been dealing with the power. And I've been talking about it from many, many angles. And you know me, I'm never in a rush to finish a subject. It's not a subject, but it's, I don't like calling it a subject, but a principle an aspect, a, dynam- a dimension, a dynamic. I'm never in a rush because we've got to keep on putting the coins in the slot until something clicks, so the lights come on, amen? That's the nature of ministry, is that you keep sowing and sowing and sowing until the fish bite. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, I feel like we've just been hitting a groove where the, the plane has really been, has hit its slipstream, And we've been hitting altitudes with this word. Last week, I opened up to you my own life and how the sustaining grace really worked in a dark time. It's working. It's worked ever since. And it still is sustaining me. Even now, as I'm studying this morning, this grace is still working for me. Amen. And this grace, because it's on me, will be on you. Because it will be over us. And the thing about sustaining grace is that you need to understand, church, is this. And it's taken me years to be able to say this, but now I can say it with confidence, because I understand it. It sounds like you're boasting, it sounds like you're arrogant, but if you know me, that's not me. Confidence in the word can be, can, can be interpreted as arrogance. It's not arrogance. But I know what I carry. And when you know what you carry, others are protected. And all of a sudden it goes quiet. I, told, I knew you'd drop out of that moment. When... You carry something in God, it's for the house. And people become protected. Not because you're special, it's because you've learned to develop something in God. And I just wish the people of God would understand this more and more. Because in Britain we're frightened of giving honour. We're scared. Oh, they only want your money. When have I ever asked for your money? And they forget the history of you. They forget the history of the people they walk with, work with, and labour with, and when they say one comment, they drop out. And because we don't understand the word honour, and we don't, un- don't practise it as often, we- it was drummed into us at school because we had to. That's the, that's the headmaster, so we call him headmaster, or that's the doctor. But then we get into church and we think everyone's level. It's a level playing field. And though we are level, They're still honour. And we-, and, we- and we miss out, and we forget, and we don't realise that our pastor can protect us because God gives him, or she said. he develops a stature in God. God gives him the word to sustain everyone. If this word, if, if that doesn't work, why do I speak to you? If this word can't sustain you, then why would I give it? You said, well, it's God's word, not yours. I didn't say it was mine. I know it's God's word. But the dimensions that are building God are for you and for me. And it sustains this house and God has kept us. God has kept us. Whether you see it or not, God has kept us. You don't know the things that go on. God's doing far more behind your back than he's ever doing in front of your face. Amen? God's got the two seconds rule. It can go before, two seconds either way. You don't know. You look for God in the moment of disaster. But what about the God who prevented it? And you, don't, and you weren't aware of it. And all of a sudden, God's going to show you the movies. You could have died there. You could have died there. You could have died there. You could, listen, I've had enough time in my life to die. Seriously. When I used to ride a motorbike, I was crazy. Well, I weren't crazy. I just had a lot of accidents through doing silly things. (laughs) The times when I could have died, times when when I've come off my bike and I've hit a car head-on and I couldn't feel my leg for six months, it was numb. I should have died outright, but I didn't. Why? Because God just thought it'd make your life miserable by keeping me alive. That's when you know God's work. When I wasn't aware of God, God was aware of me. And God's aware of you. And God's keeping you alive because there's people who wants to reach through you. This is the power of grace. This is the power of sustaining grace. And we've been looking at this this whole concept of grace for a long time now. And how God's word that there are there is salvation grace. Grace for salvation. And we looked at the doorways of that. How that works. But then there is sustaining grace. And I'm going to, we're, going to read, we're going to read a few scriptures this morning. Or quite a few scriptures. Only because I want you to see something. Very powerful. So in Psalm 84, uh, 84 verse 5. Blessed are those. Whose phone's ringing. I can hear the phone. Is it you, Lord? Is it the heavens? Are the angels singing? Blessed are those whose strength is in you. So if you've got strength that's in him this morning, you're Blessed. You have, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baker, Baker, whichever way you want to say it. They make its place a spring. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Zion is the destination. Now you can't read this scripture on its own you have to read it with Judges chapter 2. So please, in your Bibles, go to Judges chapter 2. Keep your finger in Psalm 84. Go to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Old Testament. Reading from verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and I led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I'll never break my covenant with you and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. But you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now, therefore, I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, their people wept aloud. In other words, they whinged and they cried bitterly. And they called that place Bokim. Here they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Now, what happens in Judges... You then read about in Psalms. Because what God did to the generation in the the book of Judges, the people in Psalms are now living with a consequence. Do you understand this? There's a reason why the land is dry. There's a reason why the place has got no springs. There's a reason why these things happen. Which says this. Each generation create a blessing or a consequence for the next generation. George Bush Junior. created, a, sorry, yeah, Senior, sorry, George Bush Senior created a scenario where George Bush Junior. had to go and face. If his dad would have sorted out Iraq, then we wouldn't have had the problem now, or we may have. It just may have been a continued war. Who knows? But he had his opportunity to deal with it then and didn't do it. Because politics intervened. It wasn't good for his career or for the good of the nation. Whatever the reasons were, I can't remember. But whatever battle you don't fight, your kids have to fight. Whatever mess you make, your kids have to live with. And then whatever situation you create for your children, your kids then have to walk through some ugly stuff. Many of us are the products of our parents. Good and bad. Is it fair to say? Because our parents weren't perfect. But they still remain our greatest heroes. Well, mine does anyway. Even though I could be negative and say, they didn't do this, they didn't do that, they didn't do this. I could also be positive. It's a choice. I can choose. But I also choose to honour my parents. Why? Because the Bible says it'll go well with you. Go well with you. And you'll you'll enjoy long days. So there's a principle of honour. Honour your parents. And I know that's for some people, that's not always easy, depending on what they've had to go through. But nevertheless, it's still a choice. It's still a choice. And that's when the Bible says, if you forgive others as they forgive you, as they do unto you, God will, will honor you. God will elevate you. God will take you on. Forgiveness is a powerful, powerful thing. But that's not my issue. If we read Psalm 84 verse 5, okay, it, say it must be compared with Judges chapter 2. As Judges explains the background and context for us. Yeah, they, It explains to us why ba- uh, Bacchus is dry and barren. Why? Because Israel clearly disobeyed God. She clearly disobeyed God. There's something in the heart of Israel that keeps following after God's. She's a, she's a woeful woman who likes to sleep around with whatever God's offering, whatever. And you know, Britain is no different. Britain has abandoned abandoned her Christian heritage because she wants to appear like so many things to so many people that she's tolerated everything and she stood up for nothing. And because she's tolerated everything, now the gods of the foreign people have now become a snare to England. True? True. And now the gods of of those nations that have been brought into our nation is eroding away at our history. And And don't think for one second that they will want to preserve our history. They won't. They want to create a new history. True? And this is the nature of false gods. False gods want to set themselves up and obliterate everything else. And it's you and I, my friend, who must set our hearts on pilgrimage. Oh, we must set our hearts on pilgrimage. Our hearts, we sang this morning, you will always be my God. If Israel, Israel sang that many, many times and then didn't keep a word. So she never understood. She never fully had a long, uh, what's the word, longevity. She never entered the longevity of the grace of God. It was honor, it was offer. It was honor, it was offer. She'd repent. She'd go all right for a time, and then she'd backslide. And then evil kings would rise up and take her more and more into decline. Then God would have to get another king to get him out of the mess. Then he'd he'd die, then somebody else would take him back into the mess. Sounds a lot like you're in my life, doesn't it? God says says to them, I'm going to cause all the gods to come into this land, and they're going to torment the hell out of you. And that's what happens when you open up your borders. Amen. I will cause all the foreign gods you have followed to become a thorn in your side. So much so that God, will they'll become a snare to you. A trap. A trap. So, bokim, the word bokim, is another word for baka. In the Hebrew word, it can be translated baker, baka. Not tabakka. Baca. Not Chewbacca. He was in Star Wars. This is a different one. And the Valley of Baca means the Valley of Weeping. Why? Because some stuff's gone on there. Consequence. Generation is facing and living with a consequence. So those who come through it, after the mums and dads have died, died and passed on, the kids, the next generation come through, and they're now found weeping. Because it's dry, it's hard, it's barren. But why did they pass through? It's like this those who lived outside of Israel or sorry, those who lived outside of Jerusalem had to make that journey and they had to go through there en route to worshiping. So if Israel's over sorry, if, if Jerusalem's over there, let's just use these guys, they live in Mosley. It is Mosley, isn't it? A Mosley. Let's just say Staley Bridge. And Ashton is their backer. They come from Mosley, top Mosley. They come all the way through Mosley. And they have to pass through a dry and barren land in order to get to church. Does that make sense? Now, I don't know you. In Manchester, there's a lot of dry, barren, spatial lands. It could be within Shore, It could be open shore. It could be Gorton. It could be Salford. It could be anywhere. And people are passing through. To get to a place of worship. But here's the thing. They would pray and hope that God would send them the rains. En route. So on their route to the church. It would rain. And they would be able to drink from the pools. And they would be refreshed. So they could appear before God in Zion. Does that make sense? So in other words it's like. Again let's use this couple. They come through the dry barren place. And just as they get through that. They see the golden arches. Called McDonald's. And they hear the word of the Lord. Go ye unto the golden arches. And get thyself a latte. For latte will refresh you. So they get themselves a latte. So by the time they get into the church. They're all refreshed. And they're like that summer flower. Now their hands are up in the air. But if they hadn't have had that latte. It would have been like. They would have been bitter. They would have been weeping. But God refreshed them. In that barren place. By sending his rains. By sending the springs, causing the springs to rise up. There's a place en route that God has to refresh. Hello? There's a place that God has to refresh. And very often it's as you're passing through some stuff. God, the reason why you're passing through, because your heart is set on pilgrimage. I say this, one of the reasons why the church is powerless Is because they they have not found a work. The church is unemployed. Most of the church is unemployed. What do you mean by that? It has not found its work, task or assignment. So the people come in on a Sunday morning, enjoy Sunday service, go out. They're unemployed. They have no mission. They've not set their hearts on pilgrimage. They've set their hearts on a Sunday service. And there is no pilgrimage in the hearts of people. You're all quiet now. You're all quiet. There's a kind of horse all over this place. And God, I've got to be careful because I want to I veer it off, but I better keep where I'm going because I have been known to go down a rabbit trail once or twice. But we must keep our hearts on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. What is pilgrimage? It means a work, a task, A mission. Your mission is not going to work. That's not your mission. That's called your vocation. That's a place you go to earn money. God's got an assignment for you. Now he might use you in your work. He might use you in that company. He might use you in that company. He might use you in that company. We all need to go to work, do we not? Man needs to work to sustain his family. That's your responsibility. But in his work, he's doing his job. But there are also other, reasons, there are other avenues that God can use you in that work. But that's not, you, you getting up and going to work is, is just a, your reason for getting up is so you can, stay in your, you can sustain your family. That's called responsibility. But God has another work for you. Yeah. God has another work. But we use all our time, all our energy for everything. And we sit in here on a Sunday morning and we think, we actually think we've given God something. We actually think we've paid a sacrifice because I got out of bed on a Sunday morning. My Lord, how we need a revelation. It's very quiet now. That's good. Just let that word sink in. Let us break down this word pilgrimage. It is each believer's conscience to wholeheartedly pursue a God given work, task, or assignment. You may know it as vision, mission, or destiny. But you can't keep saying destiny. Destiny is too vague. You can't keep saying mission. Mission's too vague. You can't say, oh, I was born for a purpose. You need to understand what your purpose is. It needs to be explained to you. You need to be able to see it so you can set your heart on it. You see, so much of youth ministry today is telling young kids, oh, God's got a destiny. But they don't know what it is. They never tell the kids what it is. You know why you can never, tell, you know why you can never wind kids up and say destiny? Because they don't even know their identity. Until you know your identity, dest- you can't pursue destiny. I need, to know, I need to know who I am. En route. But most of youth ministry, we're sending kids out there and I haven't got a clue who they are. Who sent them? Why are they going? Seriously, church. We need to understand these things. You need to know who you are. First thing you say when you go to the passport office: "Show me your passport. Who are you?" They look at you to see if your face, that face there, represents that face there. Now you know time changes. I remember once I used to have a big beard. I did it as a to wind cattle up, and it did wander up. And you know, it actually, got me more favour because I looked like, more like the, you know, a lot more like an Islam, Islam. Uh, I should say a Muslim. That's the word. An Islam, a, a Islamic. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. A Muslimic. I remember being in France and the and the guys going. Mm-hmm, Beard, 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 yeah, yeah, I've got one. He's he's, he's not saying to me, why haven't you got one now? But the thing is, when you look at your passport, they need to see you're the same person. So many people don't know who they are. They've changed. They're not the same person anymore. I don't mean that necessarily in the good sense, but in a bad sense. So we need to understand what our pilgrimage is about clearly understand what are we about because grace cannot sustain us on the journey if we don't understand what the journey is about you must have a work so much so much of what we do we want to come into church on a sunday and we just want it's almost like we bring the car in for a service check my oil check my filters check my brake pads why because i'm out on the road all week I don't want to feel it's, it's, not, it's pulling to the left or to the right. My life's not going in a straight line. I'll bring it in on a Sunday morning. And while I'm sat here, you can service me. Service my needs. This is not church. This is not church. This is called your, your thought pattern of what you think church is. We don't service people. We minister to people. Amen? Because they have a destiny. People need to understand. So it says in Psalm 84, verse 5 and 7, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. It's fixed. It's fast. They're determined. And as they pass through the valley, they make it a place of springs. They affect the valley. They affect the valley by what they carry. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And they go from strength to strength. Till each one appears before God in Zion. So you get sustenance on the journey. So why? So you can appear before God in Zion. The whole idea is appearing. We want to appear before God in Zion. You believe Your belief system must incorporate a pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is not the dream center. Pilgrimage is is finding and following and fulfilling the will of God for your life. If we make the dream center the totality of everything, we try and give you a church life. We want you to have a God life. Not just a church life. Now we need a church life en route to that God life. Because this is the base where we minister out from. But our emphasis is not on a church life. Our emphasis is on a God life. Because if you have a God life, you'll have a church life. But if you have a church life, it doesn't mean to say you'll have a God life. Believe me. And if you run a service mentality, you'll only ever encourage people to live on a service. And that's when people say, they, stop. they don't do anything for me anymore. In that church. You don't want to bang people on the head when they say that. That church is it no longer ministers to me no more. What about you ministering? Receive, receive. Service me. Service me. Oh, do an internal diagnostic. We did and you refused it. It came up. You didn't need serious help. Do you know a diagnostic? You need to pay a lot of money just to go put your, plug your car up to a computer for them to tell you it's not working. I knew that. that's why I brought it here. But they're going to tell you now where it's, you know, if you do that to me, you know know what you call me? You call me your therapist. If I tell you where it's not working, I've become your therapist, not your pastor. I'm not your therapist. We don't have any, if it did, I'm going to charge you. I haven't got a couch in my office. I've got a swivel chair. Why? Because I can spin you around and get you out. (laughs) Fix you, get you out. James 2. See, the reason when you set your heart on pilgrimage is because not only do you, not only do you produce fruit, but you're going to create, and what's the word? You're going to obtain a crown. You will obtain the crown of life. But in James chapter 2. This scripture is really screaming out to me. So if you, you might get it this morning. You might get the fullness of what's in my heart on this, but you might have to come back to this. But in James chapter two, verse seventeen, it says, "In the same way, faith—everyone say faith—faith by itself itself. is not accompanied by action is dead." I like the way the Scottish say it, "Did as did." I like the way they say it it has more of an emphasis on it, "As did." In other words, faith without an action is no use. But on a Sunday. All the worshippers are like to come in and say, oh God, I've got faith for your word, Lord. Faith for your word. And then go out with no action. No word. No pilgrimage. No focus. And then the seed is lost. You carry the seed through the wilderness. You carry the seed. When a woman gets pregnant, she gets overjoyed with the news. But that news only lasts for a couple of days, doesn't it, ladies? And then you get morning sickness. Morning sickness is the wilderness. And, the, and your husband at the side says, oh, get on with it, stop moaning. And she's throwing up in the, in the morning, and she's got those cravings for banana pizza and whatever it is. My mother used to suck coal and eat strawberries. I mean, well, go and figure that one. That was me. That shows you how crazy I was. Sucking coal. What's wrong with her? She should have been a minor. So there she is, sucking coal and eating strawberries. I, just, I was a crazy child. That's all I can say. I was saying, feed me, feed me. And when your ladies are pregnant and and you're stood there and you're going through all that change, and those blokes are looking really sympathetic, you're carrying that seed through the wilderness. It's your job to protect that seed, is it not? Ladies, it's our job to look after you. But your job is to look after the seed by the way you eat, by the way you sleep. By the, the way you don't overexert yourself. You look after you. We look after. so you look after the seed. We look after you. Hey, come on ladies. you all asleep this morning. And when men leave the, abandon their wife, she has to carry the child on her own. And give birth to the child on her own. The man wanted the pleasure and the woman took the responsibility. True. And that's why we have a fatherless generation today. Because men won't stick around for the responsibility. We have a generation of pleasure seekers. Women women are a part of that as well. Because they wanted the pleasure. But the man, they made a bad choice because the guy didn't stick around. And then you have a fatherless generation. Children, two and three children in a family who have got no dads. Don't know who the father is. Mum knows. And it's just a mess. That's why they need to know who they are. People need to know who they are. It takes a male to make a child, but it takes a man to raise one. Amen? It takes a male to make one, but it takes a man to raise one. And, you, you know, it says this, in, you know, faith accompanied by itself is dead. But some will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. you foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then he goes on to show them how Abraham's generation and the Israelites had faith but no action. Action with no faith. Church, I heard a lot of faith speakers talk about faith, using faith to obtain things. But I never heard them talk about using faith to set it on pilgrimage. Faith. Must have an action. Church, 2013, we're going to combine your faith with action. We must have action in the church. We cannot have a Sunday service. You need to check your Christianity. That's all you've got is Sunday service. You need to check your Christianity. Because James makes it very clear to us that faith must have an action. This is why most of the church is unemployed. Because she has not set herself to the task. Jesus, every day, thinks, the Father thinks about purpose. Every day, he's working with people's lives, engineering his purposes to an outcome. God is fixed on his purpose. Every day, the devil is fixed on his purpose. How can I kill his life? How can I steal his life? How can I destroy his life? Every day, check his calendar. What's on your calendar? Kill, steal, destroy. Kill, steal, destroy. Doesn't matter what day, what's going on in the world. You can read his his work all over the place. CV splattered all over the world. Kill, steal and destroy. And Jesus, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And the kingdom of God, since the day of John the Baptist, has not stopped advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. In some versions, he says violent men. Not violence as in the sense of we, we tear the place up and destroy everybody. But violent in the sense that we're convicted to the point that we'll, we'll go through some stuff. We will not be moved. As we sang in the song this morning. So if you go to your Bible in Ephesians chapter 3. We need evidence of disgrace. Last week we read... That there was evidence when the people of God, sorry, when the disciples saw the evidence of the grace of God, they opened up their hearts. Grace must be evident upon our lives. And Ephesians says this. Paul, talking of his own life in Ephesians chapter three, verse seven, says, "I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of His power." So, grace, the working of His power, has been given to him through the gospel. And then he says this, although I am the least, I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace, listen, was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. Who's the Gentile? Anyone who's not a Jew. You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. To give me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His, the whole, uh, the whole purpose of God giving him His grace was so he could go and preach to the Gentiles. The grace was used, and it was accompanied toward a pilgrimage. Paul, this grace set Paul on a pilgrimage to go and do something. So at the end of his life, I can say I've run the race, I've done it. I know what God was about. I know what my life was about. I finished it and I finished it strong. Not that I got to an old age. I beat cancer. That's not the goal of our life. We want cancer out of our way so we can get on and fulfill our purpose. Cancer's not the battle. Cancer's the trial on road. on route, I should say, to our pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is what we set our hearts on. Why? Because pilgrimage is what's calling us. Pilgrimage is what God gives his grace so it sustains us en route. If there is no pilgrimage, why do you need the sustaining grace? Why? If you're not going anywhere, why do you need all this stuff? Why do you need petrol in a car that's going nowhere? Why do you need insurance if the car stays on the drive? Why do you need tax? Why do you need MOT? Why? Because the vehicle is going nowhere don't need to do all that. If it's parked on the road, you do. But if it's parked on, in your garage, you can leave it there, and you can sit at the wheel all day. You can start it up. You can pretend you're going on a journey. You can play all the games. But the moment you set your heart on a journey, you need to be legal. True. You can leave little Johnny sitting in the, gar- in the garage with a car. He can play with the wheel. Just set the keys off him, and he feels like Johnny feels like he's going on a journey. He feels like he's got, the, he's got the imagination to think he's passing on a highway, a super highway. He's overtaking everyone. Then all of a sudden, Dad says, Johnny, time for tea. Johnny's reality gets shaken. Now he has to come back to earth. He realizes he's not gone anywhere. The car's still in the garage. That's how many Christians think. They think they're on the open road because they hear a good meeting. Wow, yeah, oh. Then all of a sudden, we say, now, have a good, God tested, we go make some decisions. It doesn't matter, I'm not going nowhere. They're unemployed. The church is unemployed. When you go through v- Baka, you pass through some stuff. Anybody been through some stuff? Life can, be, life can be just as much ugly as it is beautiful. Can't it? That's why we have four seasons. Well, not if you live in Manchester. You think it's just two. Autumn and Winter. But in some parts of the world, they tell me, I don't know, that there are four seasons. I just thought there was a group, it was a group myself, but it actually is. When I was in Melbourne with Phil, we actually witnessed those four seasons all in one day, didn't we? Walk out the hotel, I'm, I'm, I'm in a shirt, next minute I'm cold, next minute it's raining. And next minute I feel like there's autumn. You know, it's like crazy, all in one day. You can feel the four seasons. In, in, you know, in 51 years of my life in England, I've never witnessed all those four seasons. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is the scripture we've been using. You've got to pass through some stuff, and your attitude needs to be right as you're passing through some stuff, because if you just get bitter, twisted, you just keep moaning and complaining about things, guess what? It has a way of prolonging your desert. Have you ever thought, have you ever realised that? You can whinge and moan and complain. How do I know that? Because I've done it. And then I play that, play that game with God. Okay, God, you chase me. If you really love me, chase me. God says, stay where you are, fella. I ain't moving. I've got, me God, me got eternity. You haven't. Sort yourself out. And in here it says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of this surpassing great revelation that was given to me a thorn in my flesh. No, ladies, it's not your husband. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, no, 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 Tony, you need to understand that my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Weakness is good. It's not negative. The world wants you to be strong. God does not want you to be weak. Let me make that abundantly clear. God is not some kind of sick God that manipulates weak people and preys on weak people. It doesn't, it's not that he doesn't want you to become strong. He does want you to become strong. He does. He empowers you to become strong, but he doesn't want you going in your own strength. He wants. If you do everything on your own, then you've created a God in your own image. Hello? There's no need for faith, no need for work. If you can do it on your own, God will say... Go, go, son. Do it on your own. Why did I need to have a saviour then? Why do you need a saviour? You can do it on your own. Go, son. So many of us think we can do that. We can't. And it seems the more success you get, the weaker you need to become. The more humble you need to become. And we like, there's something about human nature that likes to control, likes to dominate, likes to be in control. Anybody can say amen to that? True, and there's and let's get it right in context and in balance. There's a part, good part of our life, where we need to be in control, we need to take responsibility. You know, uh, our children are looking to us for strength every time the wheels fall off their bike. Guess what, dad, bail me out. My own son, even this week, dad, I need you. I said, Son, why don't you want me? Oh, I do want you, but I need you first. I said, I like to be wanted, not only needed. Then I realise that's one of the privileges of being a parent. Need and want, sometimes they don't understand the difference. We do. Hello? It's good for our kids to say they love us. It's good for our kids. It's, it's more important for them to tell us, as they're growing older, they love us. You know why? Because it's words that don't come out of their mouth. We've been telling them all the life we love them. They don't believe us. They don't, oh, it's just mum, it's just dad. When a, bloke says, when a bloke looks at his son in the eyes and says, you know, son, I love you, fella fellow goes, what's wrong, dad? You've been smoking? You've been drinking? What's wrong with you? Are you on something? No, son, I just need to tell you I love you. Get out of it. Mum, dad's on one. Sort him out. No, men need to tell their sons they love them. Because, you know, they still need to know who they are. And though they can't handle it, they still, you need to be the bigger person and stand up and say, son, I'm telling you, I love you. Me and your mum love you. Now you can hide behind it. Dad, if you want, and say me and your mum. You can include your mum in there if you want. <laughs> if you're not man enough to say to your son, I love you, son. You can say, well, me and your mother have been talking. Well, look, really. And uh, man up. <clears throat> Tell your kids you love them. They look at you and they go, oh, that's on something. He's going through that change, dad. Hey, mum. You might want to do it with tears in your eyes. You might not. It's up to you. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. The older I get, the more teary I become. I don't know about you? That's why I go to the cinemas on my own now. I can cry on my own and I can sit there in the house and cry. I can cry over anything. I don't just I don't mean break me heart, you know, come on, ladies, man up. I'm talking about <coughs> I'm talking about, you know, fighting about a tear. It only needs to get a theme that strikes me heart and I'm gone. And then you don't look at your wife do you, you just go, oh, give us a tissue Don't Oh my glasses need cleaning. This breaking hearts going on in the corner there. She said, I'm not watching, you're not getting, you're not watching Sky Sports anymore. <laughs> Especially not City. The deep tears when I watch City. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. When was the last time you, you delighted in an insult? When was the last time you delighted in a hardship? When was the last time you delighted in persecution? When was the last time you delighted in your difficulties? Come on, church. For when I'm weak, then I'm actually strong. When I'm weak, it's when you're weak, you're strong. Why? Because you rest on him when you're weak. When you're strong, you say, I don't need you now. That's what the kids do. We're not kids, though, are we? But we act like it at times. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, you can just listen to me. I'll read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 to 14. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. But he gave us a spirit of power and love. And a self-discipline. Oh, ouch. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God. Suffering. He links with being the power of God. The power to suffer. Walter. Spoke to me this morning, showed me a magazine he's been reading of how Christians were persecuted. And he says, It'll break your heart. I said, I know, Walt, I've read stuff like that. I know. It does break your heart. It breaks your heart to see Christians suffer. But there is a power to suffer that much of the church in the West just do not know. I wonder how many crowns will come from the West. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. There it is. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now, he says, been revealed through the appearing of our saviour, Christ Jesus. Who has destroyed death and brought us life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of the gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. And the teacher. See, there's his assignment. This is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Listen. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what, is, what I have entrusted to him for that day. There's a day, my friend, when we will appear before him. Set your hearts on pilgrimage. Yeah? Then he says this. And here's why you have leaders. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit. Have I not been telling you that this morning? Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Ghost who lives in you. A good teacher, a good pastor, a good leader will teach you how to guard. We'll teach you how to set your heart on pilgrimage. Amen. And then in James chapter 1. I know you're going to love this verse. I'm going to see your faces light up. I love to see people's faces when I say this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know. That the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lack anything. There's the mission. Complete, mature, not lack anything. As soldiers, we should be able to stand there and go, complete, mature, not lacking anything, sir. But what do we hear? In the unemployed church, incomplete, immature and dysfunctional, lack everything. You are bought for the price to train you, to equip you for works of services. Works of services. You've been enlisted. Enlisted in an army, God's army. Other organizations have called it the Salvation Army. Others have called it the Jesus Army. You want to get freaky? Do that. Just leave it as an army. Amen? Consider it. Think about it. Ponder it, dwell on it, meditate on it. But when you've done all that, you better get, come to terms with some things. You better consider it pure joy. What I'm going through is actually for my benefit. How many times do you tell the kids, not for my benefit, son, but for yours? It's hurting me more than it's hurting you. And the kid goes, really? But your heavenly father does that. He says, son, this has come for you. There will be tears before bedtime, but there'll be joy in the morning. I can see clearly now the rain has gone, but right now you've got obstacles in your way. Amen? Then he says here that they make it a place of springs in Baca. As you pass through it, you make, you affect it. You affect somebody else's dryness. You affect. You know, when the girls went out on Saturday, Friday, sorry, the mums and tots went out on their Christmas meal. And as they went out, they were talking to one of the girls. And it's the girl who's got cancer. It's a friend of the girl who's got cancer. You see, there's a dry place there. Now, the girl who was telling Carol and Shirley and Linda this, do you remember it, Linda? No? She feels affected because it's her friend. And it was her who used to have the shop around the corner. And I used to go in there, and it was her who says to me, I was, she was talking to me about a, a boyfriend who'd basically beat her up. And she was being a little bit explicit without being rude. And I'm thinking to myself, is she coming on to me? And I'm walking out, and the Holy Spirit says to me, and this is great when the Holy Spirit speaks to you in Mancunian, <laughs> Mancum style. He says this to me, you dipstick. She was pouring her heart out to you because she recognized what was in the room. But you misinterpreted the situation and because of that, you missed the opportunity. Sorry, Lord. Because I didn't see the situation. This girl still thinks in her heart that prayer can change things for her friend. That's why you need to be there. That's why you need to connect with these people. Because they're looking for life. Now, they're passing through some stuff. And if they pass through and en route, you're in their vicinity, your waters might refresh them. Hello? That was so good, you should have wrote that down. People are dry. People are en route. People are going places. Some, most of them are going to hell. Some of them are going to prison. Some of them have got a different destiny. Some of them are going to rack and ruin. But you carrying what you carry... On route, as you pass through some stuff, people come alongside you and your water refreshes others so that they can appear before Zion. That's why you've got to get by next to people, get contact with people, talk to people. It'd be a shame for God to run the video of your life and to know A, B, C and D were all in your circle and you never stopped to consider them. And now they're all in hell. They go through a dry valley. You know the Bible says this in two Corinthians 6, two sixteen. To one he says, We're the smell of death. But to the other, we are the fragrance of life. Yeah. It's amazing how what we carry can affect two types of people. To one group of people they say, you know, you stink, I don't want that gospel. To a Muslim we stink. To a Mormon we stink. To an atheist, we stink. To a to a uh, someone who is not a, or so a, so a passive person, I was going to say a pacifist. Then, a passive person, we stink. What we carry, they're not interested. But to another, with the fragrance of life, with the fragrance of life, wouldn't you like? To, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to be the fragrance of life? But you know, you can't be one without the other. You've got to be both. But guess what? Don't worry your effect don't think about your effects that's not your job your job is to be light your job is to carry the water your job is to carry the substance your job is to carry the dna so when people speak to you, you don't know you don't know if you're giving them a drink of water just be you you don't know feeding people quenching someone's thirst tembi's already said this morning in a testimony Lisa said, when Lisa said, what Lisa said affected her. Lisa didn't know she was feeding or quenching someone's thirst. She spoke. And as she spoke, someone who was thirsty, going through that stuff, said, that's the word of the Lord for me, I'm having it. Now, the world doesn't call it the word of the Lord. After the church don't call it the word of the Lord. They just know that what you're saying is helping me. I can talk to one Muslim, I forget his name now, and when I talk to him, he he keeps holding me for three hours. But you know, we still haven't turned. We still haven't changed that person. But guess what? I'm just being me. But he's fixed on my words. He respects me and he honours me. But he loves talking to me. And I'm just being me. And if you're being you, you get to talk about what you like. True? And it's that conversation that they like. It's seasoned. You want to try it? It's good. Don't preach at them. Speak to them. Just give them the life that's in you. Yeah? Just give them things. And it's amazing how people feed on it. When you package it and call it God, no, I don't want that stuff. Don't want that stuff. But you show them the life behind it, then they go, then you go, da-da, do you know what's in the box? Da-da, it's called God. Sell the sizzle before you let him sell them the sausage. Amen? Let them smell the fragrance. Nothing like. You know, if you say to me, these bacon's all full of fat, it's not good for you. Guess what? What am I not going to do? But if I smell the stuff, oh, holy ghost. <laughs> if I smell bacon, I don't care how fat the bacon is. I just smell it and I want to... Taste it. I don't want to know if the pig was dead, half dead, blessed, dead, unblessed. Just give me the pig. True? True? You don't know if those potatoes were King Edwards. You don't know if they were yesterdays, todays. You smell chips, you want some. That's how it is with the kingdom. Okay, let's wind this baby up. Last scripture. Isaiah 60. So in Bacca you set your heart on pilgrimage, they make it a place of springs, we haven't got time to go through, they go from strength to strength, and the last one is each one appears before God in Zion. They're the four stages, five stages should say. Isaiah 62 verse 10 says this, pass through, pass through, prepare the way for people. Build up, build up a highway. Now how many times has he said, pass through, pass through? Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Okay? Raise a banner for the nations. So to do all that, my friend, is it fair to say there's work that needs to be done? If you're going to pass through, that takes pilgrimage. Determination. A fixed point. Hear me, church? You need a fixed point. If you're not going anywhere, you're always going to be... You're going to be like the children of Israel going around in the desert, in the wilderness, and you can keep saying the same things over and over and over again. There's no point to your life. That's when the Ecclesiastes says, you know, what is it for man? He might as well eat, live, be merry, for tomorrow he dies. That's not our portion. It's amazing how many people will settle for that. But if we set our hearts on pilgrimage, that's our focus. That's what, why we get up every day. Amen. For your king, Lord, for the kingdom. For the kingdom, for the king and his kingdom. Jenny will tell you, every time I write a letter, I always sign it. For the king and the kingdom. That's my focus point every time. For the king and for the kingdom. Always. He said, pass through, pass through the gates. Now, prepare the way for the people. For who? For the people. It's not about you, it's about the people. God's switching the agenda He's saying, you pass through, you make me me the priority, and by making me the priority, I will turn your heart towards the people. Your heart is for people. It's not for church, it's for people. It's for God, his kingdom, his will, and his will is about people. So you have to pass through some stuff so you can reach people. I've had to pass through some stuff personally to reach you. You won't believe the things, the personal battles I've had to face to be able to be able to communicate like this to you. It's not natural. So as I pass through some stuff in my own torments and my own, my own demons in my head. You know, every one of us got a little friend who's crazy up there. There's a little friend in the attic. Every now and then you have to get him out and slap him. And bring him into alignment. Because if he's winning the show, you're finished. True? Now I've got to sort my own little friend out up there so I can minister to you so you can get your little friend and get him out. It's called doubt. It's called suspicion. It's called strongholds. It's called fear. It's called so many things. You may have a group of people up there. I'm sure some of you have. I'm sure you have. There ain't the 12 disciples up there and I know that. Pass through, pass through, prepare. Prepare the way for the people. I have to prepare the way for you. You have to prepare the way for you. You have to prepare the way for others. Others have to prepare the way for others. That's the way it works. But if you're not reaching others, then all you're doing is me, 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 me. Service the car, service the car. How many times does you car need? Servicing. Maybe the problem isn't the car. Maybe it's the way you're driving it. Maybe it's not what you're driving. It's maybe it's what's driving you. What is driving you? Have a will be your little friend. He's the one driving you. Driving you crazy. So he says, pass through, pass through. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up. Our, our ministry is all about building. Building what? A highway. So people can pilgrimage. Pilgrim on. Pilgrimage on, that's all right. Journey on. That's a better word. Journey on. Raise the banner. In other words, make a proclamation. State something. But well, we've said high visibility, maximum impact. We've said the pillars of the well ordered house. We've said you have come to a Zion explosion. We said revival now, in Manchester. Speak, tell, it to, that's our That's us raising our banner. Why? Well, we set our hearts on pilgrimage. We're passing through. That's why we're making these declarations. You've got to have a banner in your own heart. You might want to say, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Manchester's sake, I will not remain quiet. Amen. And then he says this. The Lord has made a proclamation to the ends of the earth. That's what prophetic ministry is all about. Is knowing what the Lord has proclaimed and making it known to you. Amen. Say to the daughters of Zion, that's you. See, your savior comes. See, his reward is with him. And his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people. That's what you're going to be called. The redeemed of the Lord. That's who you are. You'll be sought after. Oh, well sorted. Amen. The city no longer deserted. When you set your heart to a work and a pilgrimage, the city changes. The whole environment changes, my friend. Why? Because what you carry affects where you're going. Rather than where you're going affecting what you carry. It's a reverse. Does this make sense? This is why sustaining grace has to come to a church. This is why it needs to come to your life. It does not sustain you from one Sunday to another just so you can keep coming to church. Church, hear me strong. That's not what the grace is for. It's not so you can keep coming to church every Sunday. The church is a mobile unit who invades every sphere of society. Wherever you're working, invade it. Whatever circle of friends you've got, invade it with your light and your life. Don't just go with a message, go with a life. You know, the people don't like your message because they don't like your life. If they like your life, they'll listen to your message. You know, that's a truth right there. Go with a life. That's why people say, get a life. Get a life and people will receive your message. Because when they buy into you, they'll buy into what you know. Yeah, it's true. It is. So get a life. That's why we need to keep removing the obstacles so people can get this life. If you stand to your feet, please, let's conclude. Let's finish this in the spirit as we started. I hope you've got, the, I hope you've got a hold of this sustaining grace. I hope you understand why you need it. Don't get sentimental about it. Don't get sentimental about it. It's about just getting me through my sickness. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. God did not get you out of your hospital bed to go and sit in your armchair. How many of you heard of that phrase, armchair supporters? Yeah? I'm an armchair supporter now. I've not got a season ticket this year. But when I last year and the year before, I put my money where my mouth was, right? I, was, I, would, I went through the cold nights, the cold days, just to get the crown of glory at the end. But how many years had people been doing that? Well, listen, my friend, our Bible tells us that our race is not in vain. It's not to the swift. It's to those who set their hearts on pilgrimage. That's where our hearts need to be set. So if you just raise your hands with me this morning. I, I really, really encourage you to get these. Last three weeks, I've been talking about grace. I think this is some of the best stuff I've ever taught. Honestly, I think this is really going to set us up. I'll be taking this series with me to Australia. Series because I think it's going to help people. I've hit a groove on this, and you might not, you may not listen to it now, but I'll tell you now, you will need it in the days ahead, because the principles don't change. Grace isn't to get you from week to week. It's to get you to your assignment. It's to get you to your assignment. Now you think, well, I don't know what my assignment is. Well, keep listening to us and we'll make it clear to you. Because we've got an assignment, and it's becoming clearer and clearer all the time. It's not it's not wonderfully clear right now, but it's becoming clear. Amen. But in the meantime, we're building, we're passing through, we're removing the obstacles, we're building the highway. So God can pass through, you can pass through, and others can pass on our journey. Amen? And it takes a lot of work and a lot of labor to remove obstacles. And the obstacles are in you, in your thinking, before they're out there. Amen? So, Father, right now. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcenter.co.uk